To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my buddy Braden Forsythe. So I've known Braden for a while, and he's been on my short list to get on the podcast. So I finally reached out. We connected for a podcast, but he's just a diehard bow hunter. Uh, so harvested a great mule deer, great whitetail already this year. And then um, last season, he had the special uh, ram tag for Colorado, an archery ram tag. Uh, so, so fun to dive into that hunt. And, you know, I, I had a lot of strong ties to it, having that once in a lifetime tag of mine, that moose tag this year. And so, you know, I could kind of feel the same pressure that he felt and, uh, the conversation just came easy. He's a diehard bow hunting nut, just like I am and made for a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, They have kept me alive this hunting season. Their instant coffee is actual freeze-dried coffee that doesn't hurt my gut, that has a great flavor. Uh, It's just a premium product. They also have some tea bags that are really good. And, um, man, I always have a bunch of those things in my kit as it just makes a real quick cup of coffee. Also, their roasts. So if I'm truck camping, I have this little French press and I'll bring their roasts. Like I love their silencer smooth. They're all good, right? So I'm part of their coffee subscription. So they send me a bag of coffee every single month. So I get to try out all their new types of uh, coffee or all their grounds all their roasts. And, um, man, their roasts are so good. It's the best coffee I've ever had. Uh, it's, it's just a a great company, great coffee. If you guys are in the market or drink coffee, make sure to go check them out and support them over there at Black Rifle Coffee Company. I also want to thank my sponsor, Cutter Stabilizers. So this is Earl Stroll. Uh, Stabilizers make such a difference on the hold of your bow and the reaction of your bow. And the longer the stabilizer, the better the hold. So I'm using a 15 out front, a 12 inch out back. Uh, They're carbon fiber. They're a small diameter, so they don't catch much wind. And then you can adjust your weights by one ounce, both on the front or the back. They also have a sidebar bracket that's just bomb proof that I've been using now for a couple seasons so they have that they have the weights they have the stabilizers again i'm using the 15 out front the 12 in the back Uh, i run six ounces out front 10 in the back so a total of 16 ounces one pound of added weight and it just makes my bow hold so good Uh, and you can actually improve your effective range by messing with your stabilizers so you can gain 10 yards of effective range on your shooting, which really makes you effective in Western hunting where a lot of our shots are longer shots. Like I harvest a lot of my animals in between 40 and 60 and these stabilizers definitely help me make these shots. So, uh, if you're in the market or during this off season, make sure to go check out cutter stabilizers and what they produce is that really helps the hold and reaction of your bow. I also want to thank forever Barnwood. Man, I've got this forever barnwood going up in my new house, and it is beautiful. Gosh dang it. The, the It's like a furniture finish on it. Like I'm trimming all my windows and window jams with it, and they have a clear coat on it that really helps protect the wood. Uh, it's just a beautiful look. I've got these barnboard beams that will be going in soon in my ceiling. 
Uh, gosh, they have. I have all base and case trim for my house. I had them build all custom doors for my house. It's going to be an absolute one of a kind, like nothing I've seen here in the valley. And I'm so pumped on this company. They have floors. I also got some of their shiplap that I'm going to use on the back of my bar. Uh, I've got a whole garage full of this forever barn board that I'm using on my new house. And I'll I'll release some photos um, on my social media so you guys can see how my new house is coming. It's coming good. Uh, just got it painted the other day, and then, um, yeah, we're starting to trim out windows, tongue and groove ceiling, things of that nature. But it's beautiful. Uh, but just a great company, great price point, so impressed by Forever Barnwood, and, and so impressed at the whole process from getting this order together to deliver. Super professional company and a one-of-a-kind house. It makes new wood look old and they are dialed on it uh, so if you're in the market if you're a builder if you're building a new house go check out this company man and they're they're all hunters and they're they're putting their money to support Eastman so to support me uh, which is outside the box thinking as far as advertisement so I really appreciate this company go check them out over at forever Barnwood I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis has absolute top-notch gear. They have all the top name brands, and then they also have their own name brand for a great price point that's that's high quality. I was looking at their sleeping bags the other day. Look like great sleeping bags. Gosh, they have, um, like I, I've told you guys, my buddy Dylan uses their puffy pants. Uh, he really likes them. They're a Black Ovis name brand. And then all the other top name brands, just top-notch gear. So they're an internet retail store. They have absolutely everything you need for every hunt and I know uh, anything that I'm looking for I can go on Black Ovis and find it and get it shipped and coming to me you can save 10% with the code elevated 10 that'll save 10% on your order uh, I mean they have everything all the top name brands all the top glass the top uh, camping gear top hunting gear hunting clothing uh, you name it they have it in there go check them out at Black Ovis I also want to thank Camo Fire 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours. So my buddies Dan and Dylan use this a bunch. They have a bunch of gear from Camo Fire as they're able to save a pile of money. So uh, they had matching slippers the other day. They got all kinds of stuff that they've got from Camo Fire. But uh, if you download this app, 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours, top name brands, uh, some stuff that's overstocked or that they you know, have extra sizes of or whatever the case, but you can just get top-notch gear for a, a premium price. So make sure to go check them out over at Camo Fire. And over at Eastman's, I just saw that uh, last year's uh, late season mule deer hunt in the Badlands was released. Uh, it's an archery hunt during rifle season. It's just an awesome hunt. So proud. I put this together, you know, one backpacking trip with Dylan and then brought my cameraman Josiah came in and, and filmed for me. Uh, we backpacked miles into this country in there to go find some good deer hunting and um, found a good buck and and uh, just epic stock and epic clay. Um, really proud at how this one came out so go check that out at Eastman's Beyond the Grid you can also check out our Mule Deer School I've been getting a bunch of good messages how this is really helping guys uh, improve their Mule Deer game so I've seen a bunch of big bucks come across my feed and guys reaching out saying hey thanks for that Mule Deer course uh, you know you're gaining years worth of knowledge um, you know in a couple weeks time of going through these videos there's over a hundred videos I mean, guys, this is absolutely everything I know about mule deer hunting, everything I know uh, about a, adventure hunting the West, traveling to different places, different habitats, and, and trying to find mature bucks. So 
make sure to go check it out. Uh, you can search Eastman's Mule Deer Course or Mule Deer School, and that'll pop up. And uh, I think it's a great price point and a great learning tool out there. So really proud of that. And um, check out the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. I've written a couple articles. I may have another one coming out. I'm not sure. I turn them in, and then they release a month later. So I know I have a couple articles in there, but just try to pour my heart and soul as the other staff writers do. Dan Picard's on there as well. Uh, he writes a bunch, and then we have other guest writers as well. But um, yeah, I got to get Dan Picard back on the podcast, man. That guy killed it this season. He's an elk guru and killed his two biggest bulls today. Just amazing. So I'm going to reach out to Dan, get him on the podcast here sooner rather than later, and uh, get that thing recorded for you guys for some elk hunting but check that out check out everything we do also eastman's tag hub our internet research tool so as we're coming into tag season you can learn about these different states and what they offer for tags and opportunities so check that out and with that man um let's get into this podcast you guys i've uh, been talking long enough so here we go so we've got braden forsyth a great bow hunter i'm your host brian barney eastman's elevated here we go Uh, let's get into it right away. Like I think we just get talking bow hunting. You got any ideas for the podcast or stuff you want to talk about? Bow hunting. I mean, I've 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 wanted, I've looked forward to to being on this podcast for a, for a while now. So I, you know, it's just I, I think our passion for bow hunting. We can talk for for days about it. You know, so just uh, let's talk about your. I want to talk about your moose hunt. How was that? Um, the moose hunt, uh, it was epic. I got the, the full experience. Um, Good. man, it's, it's tough when we get these premium tags, not to put pressure on our shoulders, but I know as far as a moose or at least a Shiris, like this is probably my one chance I'll get at them, you know? And so, right. Right. um, there is a little bit of pressure with it, but I just tried to, uh, uh, not worry about it so much and enjoy the experience, put in my days and work hard and hunt hard to the best of my abilities. And then, you know, let the cards fall where they do. So man, it was, it was awesome. But I, I tell you, it was, um, one of the tougher challenges I've taken on. Like, um, I think I had, you know, something close to like 30 days in or something like that for moose. Did and I didn't, it? I didn't even see a moose for the first 12 days. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that'll uh, that'll be t- that'd be a tough one, you know. Your your once in a lifetime tag and and not seeing anything for the first twelve days. But how long did you have? Um, how long did that tag go for? So it's a really long season. It goes from September fifteenth to like the the end of November, and so I had okay. a I had a lot of time. Um, I thought it'd be pretty good starting off. I thought I'd get rut action starting from September 15th. But what I found is those moose were really in their summer ranges and like living in um, uh, living in timbered areas. And the feed was so good this year. So they weren't like drawn to these bottoms that are classic moose habitat. And so... I was just having to go around in the mountains and look for them, and then their their densities are so low, even with a healthy population, uh, that they were just tough to find at first. Yeah. Once yeah. you found so once you found one, did you start finding finding more, or was it kind of onesies, twosies here and there? Yeah. So um, it was action. Like once I started to find them, the rut kicked in about October first or so, and so. 
I started to find some vantage points that really worked for me. I started to find like some still hunts where I found good populations of moose that then I would go in and hunt that area and do a five mile loop and, you know, possibly still hunt into one or see one. So I was using like a combination of uh, master vantage points, still hunting, and then also uh, driving roads, you know, which I can only stand to drive roads for about a half a day. And then I got to get out and stretch my legs. But uh, it right. is it is like a good tactic for finding moose. And so it was like using a combination of those three. And so um, I started to find moose consistently. And I even had some crazy days. I had one day where I found I think I saw 13 moose in one day. So I had action. But for me, the tough part was finding a mature bull. Right. Right, because you weren't, you weren't, I mean, with that tag, you're not, you're not trying just to shoot, shoot anything, so finding, find a mature bull and, and the challenge of mature animals, we, we all know how that goes. Yeah, it was, um, I'd find um, smaller bulls, and, and I didn't need to kill a w- world record, like, I just wanted to kill a good representation of a Shiras moose, you know, good paddles right. and um, mature animal, but... I just could not turn one up. And part of the frustrating thing of the hunt is that, you know, people would see mature bulls and they'd tell me about them, which was great. That intel really helped to know where mature bulls were. But, like, I had a buddy, you know, that drove uh, across the country to come hunt elk out here, and I had seen some elk and so kind of sent him off one of my vantage points, and he ran into a good bull, you know, while hunting those elk I had seen. And so then I went back to look for that good bull, and, you know, I looked for him for two, three days and couldn't turn him up. And, and in the meantime, he hunted a different drainage and saw another big bull. And so, like, uh, it was a bit frustrating as I was chasing a lot of vapor trails. And it seems like where one person sees a moose, you just don't see him in there again. You know, you go into this right. spot where they had you, seen one, and that's like the last place you should go look for a moose because they're never in the same place twice. They're so random where you run into right. But, um, you know, I just tried not to let it get to me, and I tried to just soak in the experience of, like, being able to hunt Shiras moose like in this right mountain range that i have 20 years of experience in and so uh yeah man i really got the full experience it was amazing and then you know just like it happens in bow hunting i wasn't sure if it was going to come together or not like i've got so much going this month and you know we've got to move and i'm trying to to finish my house and have other projects and so i really burned a lot of my time there in october during the rut which i thought was going to be the best which was good hunting um, right. But but then just like bow hunting, you know, it's keep putting forth effort and eventually, you know, just catch this bull. I was still hunting this bottom um, that I had found the summer. And, um, you know, I get to the very back and getting ready to turn around and then, you know, able to glass up a cow. And uh, I thought, oh, no, another cow. Oh, well, at least I saw a moose. Any day I see a moose is a win and um, hike up about 10 yards higher and then catch that bull with her. So, yeah, man, it was a, it was amazing. And you awesome. know all about once-in-a-lifetime tags. Like I remember I was so impressed by your sheep that you arrowed yeah. uh, when you got that sheep tag. Man, that was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I do know about that. I, I understand completely the, uh, the pressures we put on ourselves and trying not to uh, – not to – you know, put so much pressure on ourselves with those, with those once in a lifetime tags and, and just keep, <clears throat> just keep grinding. I mean, yeah, that was, that was a hell of a day, you know, and it was just one of those just persistence, persistence killed that Ram, you know, I, I bumped them earlier and had to, had to, had to chase them all around the mountains and got fortunate enough to, to, but I, I think we talked, I did 
I think 8,000 vertical feet that day or something chasing those rams to, to get them killed. So it was just that, like you said, you, you know, I listen to your stuff a lot and, and look up to you guys, and you always say persistence is, you know, persistence is the key to, to bow hunting. It, it's got to be persistent. you got to stay, stay after them and stay on whatever it is you're hunting, you know. Dude, that's wild. 18,000 vertical feet gained and lost to kill your ram. So when you draw that tag, did you draw one of the archery-only tags there in your home yeah. state of Colorado? Yes. So we've got a uh, we've got a unit that there's a group of us, actually. Um, Phil drew it first kind of five five or seven years ago. He, he It's a unit that you have the highest odds of drawing that tag because – not a lot of people want to go down there because they're, you know, kind of some, some, some gnarly, really gnarly country and it's a lot of work to, to get to the Rams. Um, so we just wanted to hunt Rams. So we started, you know, the group. So I hunted them with Phil, you know, five or six years ago. Then another buddy of ours had the tag the year before I had it. So I got to hunt a little bit with him. Um, and then I drew it. And then actually another one of our buddies drew it last year and killed a Ram too. So we have some experience in there with those Rams. Um, but yeah, it was uh it, it was it, it was a trip for sure. I got the full RAM experience. That's uh that is a hundred percent for sure. It's amazing, man. Yeah, some of that wild country that they offer bow tags for sheep down there does spook me because it is so big and those rams are the you know, those sheep are the same way where they can be few and far between and you just right. have to cover so much rugged country and um you know there's so many places where they're not before you finally find where they are but it sounds like um the experience in that unit was like key for you like being able to hunt these places and like pay your dues in these areas it is like a huge component of success and so being able to hunt it with Phil or being able to hunt it with your other buddy you kind of come in with a higher working knowledge of that country and and same thing i think of like on this moose tag you know i learned so much about this area and about moose hunting this year that uh you know i was able to harvest that moose but you know, I can't imagine what I'd be like if I drew that tag again or if my dad draws that tag or if one of my right. buddies draws that tag. You know, I have over 30 days of experience in that country hunting moose. And so now all of a sudden my, my moose knowledge is way higher. So I suspect like that was a big key to your success is knowing where to target those rams at. Yeah, yeah, it really it really was. Um, it's funny because all of us, we always say we're not going, we'll never go back in there. We're in there. We'll never go back in there. And then, you know, six months later after we've been in there, we're like, well, you know, so it's always for me, like that unit is one of those, I don't know. I don't know how I, it's one of those tests, right? Like we all, we all need to test ourselves. I believe we all need to test ourselves. And that unit is one of those tests because it is not, it, it's definitely type two fun. And we always are, hate going in there, but then, you know, once you go in there and once you either are successful but or you spend some time in there, you know, you feel like I feel like I tested myself for, for the year. You know, it's one of those that, that that I feel good because we made it out, you know, whether we come out with something or not. It's especially good when we come out with something. But, you know, it's one of those units that it's like, okay, we're going to go test ourselves again. Man, that's the truth, isn't it? Like, um... yeah. Hunting that rugged backcountry, and I know you like to hunt muley bucks as well. And I, like, as you're talking I about do. rugged mountain ranges and hunting sheep, I can't help but uh, uh, compare it to like high country muley hunting. And and a lot of times, um, 
you know, same like even, I mean, they're living, a lot of times they're living in the same places, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and it it is like this test, and especially like down where you guys are at, like um, you know, the mountains are giant down there where you right. climbing twelve and thirteen thousand foot peaks and really cruising a lot of rugged country to be able to turn them up. Um, so yeah, I I think of it the same way. It's not. It's not fun all the time in there. It's a grind. It's like um, almost like climbing Everest. Like I, uh-huh. I don't know that those guys enjoy every minute of climbing Everest and putting one foot in front of the other, but they they enjoy the jur- the entire journey and they and enjoy the challenge of trying to get the top. The same way we enjoy the mountains, and I have such a love and affinity for that that place and that high country in there. But it is brutal country, and especially when you mm-hmm. have to access it through a backpack carry everything on your back and climb those mountains like that that backpack and then uh the elevation uh and then you know gaining and and losing uh elevation as well like those are the equalizers man they just um uh you are gonna hurt there in the mountains and so you have to like embrace uh that type two fun just like you're talking about it's more. It's not fun while you're doing it, but it's when you when you get done, the feeling of of accomplishment or the sense of accomplishment is just, you know, it's indescribable uh, to 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 say that. Yeah, we went and we tested ourselves, and 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 you know, we passed the test, and I, I feel, you know, feel good about myself. The work I put into it, you know, it's the amount, you know, like you, the amount of work we put in all year to be able to do things like that, you know. Well, it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it is. It's the work we put in all year. No, you're exactly right, man. It um, it is, and and there's such a love for it that you come back from one of those grueling hunts, and all you can think about is going back into one of those grueling areas, or think about the good times you right. had in there. And, and then it's just wild when you get in these remote, wild places to look around and see no humans, and to look around and see like some of the wildest country in the lower 48, and it seems like. The more extreme terrain it is, um, you know, definitely the greater the challenge. But but also, it's it's like um, hunting these these wild places. It makes for a true adventure. Right, right. That's and I think that's what it gets to for for a lot of us is is that true adventure. Like you said, you know, that adventure is what we crave. You know, that 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 adventure and the process with that adventure. You know, the stuff we're doing in in March. In April, February, March, and April, that's part of the process to get us into that adventure and to be successful in that adventure, whatever success means to you, right? So it's just having, having to love that process and, and be that process is part of that whole adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And you realize, too, like the longer you bow hunt, like the the enjoyment is in the journey. It is in the process Absolutely. and you have to like love all of it. And um, it has to be right. And, you know, like you're so good at keeping yourself fit and then such great archery knowledge. You've worked in in that shop and helped so many guys with their bows, but you have such a great understanding of it. But you have to like. You have to love like each piece of it and each part of it in the preparation. And when you when you love it, then it then it comes easy. And and uh, you know I I really I've I've arrowed enough critters now, and I love success or, or climbing to the top of the mountain. But I've learned throughout my years that the the real love for it is in the journey, is in the 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 being in it. You know, being in one of those rugged places trying to arrow a big buck like that is right. that is the fun of it. And um, 
So yeah, it had to be wild on that sheep hunt. You'd mentioned that you that you spooked that sheep. So you found that ram, which was a giant heavy ram, and you've drawn yeah, the good, tag. Really good you, ram. You've probably scouted uh, the summertime, and so you find this ram, and you finally get a stock, and uh, it doesn't always come together on our first stock. Like these animals are crafty, aren't they? They they are. They uh, it actually we. Uh... I had I had gone we'd spotted these rams the night the day before and and made a play actually made moved camp and did all everything cuz they were in a different basin and they were in a basin quite a ways away but we glassed them up my buddy Joe actually glassed them up so we decided to move camp closer to the mouth of that basin cuz I figured that's where they'll stay and that's where I'll hunt them for the next few days um so spotted them that night and right at last light you know, you learn things about different species and these, these rams, you know, right at last light, they just took off running and we lost them. So I'm like, oh man, we're starting from scratch again. Um, so that night we decided to, Joe and I decided to split up and I was going to go up, I was going to go up one ridge and he was going to go up the other ridge that were the mouth of this basin and, you know, cross glass to see where we could find these rams. Well, of course I spotted the rams from my side, but they were above him on his side. So you know, that was the first thousand feet up to thousand feet down and thousand feet, you know, 1500 back up to get on top to where they're at. And it was one of those things, you know, just, it was like antelope hunting at 13,000 feet. I come over the top and it's just this barren and all of a sudden I see a ram head pop up and I'm like, Oh no. And there they go. But luckily what they did is they dumped back into that basin and watching those animals run across that scree and rock is, I was fascinated by it. I was disappointed because I just scared them, but I also was fascinated by it because those things were running full tilt on the scree, jumping off cliffs, not falling, running, running around the scree like it, like it didn't exist. And they actually, you know, got around to the other side of the base and now they're back below where Joe was at because he'd come up to where I was at earlier in the morning. And uh, it's kind of like the top gun, you know, where'd who go pointing, pointing one direction, the other. So I ended up having to drop down the backside into the next basin over so they didn't spot me because they were on that face. And, uh, you know, it took me a few hours to get down, to weave my way down because it was all cliffy, rock scree. I mean, you know, you know the country, the stuff where you climb down 30 feet to climb back up 30 feet to go, but, you know, just kind of weaving your way down, trying to get down without falling. And uh, I got around to the nose of that the nose of that spine again and sure enough i glassed up and these rams had tucked themselves up in this this cut on this wall and felt like they were safe not understanding that you know they were in a perfect spot for a bow hunter to get above them and and and, and shoot them and i'm like well they put themselves in a pretty good spot for me so back up to where i started in the morning and uh sure enough i, I by the time i got up there i was pretty pretty beat and joe looks at me and i go i'm either going to scare these rams out of this county or i'm going to kill one and i walked over and it was you know it was one of the i'd say like it was one of the easier stocks i had to do because i was on top of this rim and it was all solid rock on top of that rim and there were some tree sporadic trees right on the edge of that that i knew i could get to and sure enough i got to them and uh those rams were, were standing down there and i ranged them at uh it was uh, 67 is what the rangefinder said. And so I, I, I actually I missed him with my first shot. I'm, I'm not too 
too proud to say that. Missed him with my first shot. And then they didn't kind of, they, they kind of scrambled, didn't know what was happening. And the second shot, you know, um, just pinwheeled him and, uh, they took off and down and, and I lost them for a while. I lost the Ram, all the Rams. And then all of a sudden I see this mature Ram come running down, the, running down the drainage and started to do the, the, uh, you know, the sideways butt thing. And I'm like, Oh, he's, he's going to go down. He's done. He's done right there. And he, he piled up within, you know, a hundred, 110 yards. So it was, uh, it was really pretty special. It was, it was really cool. And then we followed it up last year and Joe killed the Ram. Well, the funny thing about it is, is in my trophy pictures, you can see where he killed his Ram a mile across the drainage. And you can see where I killed my Ram a mile across the drainage from his trophy picture. So it's kind of, it's kind of a special thing over two years to have those two Rams down within, uh, pretty close proximity to each other in that basin man that is wild how cool like what a what an adventure hunt like up there in that yeah in that high country or in that extreme terrain man that's amazing uh yeah and um you know it's uh no matter how good a shot we are how good at archery you get like that's a tough shot the 67 or 65 whatever you say well, downhill and is actually ended, yeah it further. ended up being it added, actually ended up being 83 line of sight. So there was a, there was a 48 degree cut on it. Um, so that was, uh, we looked at it and Joe goes, that's far. And I was like, yeah, it looks far, doesn't it? And he straight lined it and he goes, yeah, 83, that's a poke. Oh man. So, it, um, but, you know, it seems like our archery shots, like when you archery hunt a bunch, um, it doesn't matter which species you're hunting it. We don't get those those easy shots too often. It seems like there's such a high degree of difficulty. And, like, I'm just getting back from hunting muleys for a week and um, in, in some rough and rugged country. But it seems like these shots, they always come with uneven footing or steep angles mm-hmm. or trying to tuck it in a window. You know, it it, uh, it it's definitely not like shooting in flip-flops in the backyard. Like, it, it just um, – they are difficult shots out west. Like, they – it's just a to be successful. Like um, you know, we can't just look for twenty, thirty yard shots, or uh, you know, you have to shoot inside your your effective range. But in that same breath, it's like um, a lot of my kills come from forty to sixty yards, and then sometimes even having to stretch out a little bit further. In fact, my my moose was a longer shot than I wanted, but I ran out of cover. I was in the willows. I practice all season. I know I can make that shot. And dotted them at 72 and 95. Right. He stopped again and put another one in his other side. But a lot of times these whole hunts come down to making one shot, you know, to to making mm-hmm. a tough shot. And uh, if you really work and hone your archery skills uh, year round to be the best shot you can, a lot of times you can come up clutch on those shots and and make it under you know an intense amount of stress. Yeah, I you know I look up to a lot of guys like you and and Tony and you know um, some guys out here that that and I try to find patterns right like what what makes these people successful at at, at bow hunting and I, you know I'm, I'm trying to find these patterns to kind of you know follow too myself because I'm always trying to learn too that's that's one thing is is, is if I'm in the, if I'm the smartest guy in the room I'm in the wrong room is kind of the way I look <laughs> at it so. I'm always trying to learn. And, and one thing I have learned is, you know, it's pretty rare that you get that perfect, perfect opportunity where the, you know, deer, elk, whatever, moose, whatever it may be is, you know, 
feeding nonchalantly is giving you that 20, 22 yard shot broadside, no big deal, no pressure. It's very rare that you don't, that there's times you have to take some risks. I don't want to say risk, but you, you've got to push your limits a little bit as far as shooting goes to be consistently successful. Um, I'm not saying, you know, make bad shots, but what I always tell people is you have to put yourself in those positions during the year practicing. So when it comes up on an animal, it's not the first time your body's, you know, had to draw your bow sitting down or, you know, to, to draw your bow and then stand up or take a couple steps to clear, clear some brush and make a, make a good shot, you know? So I'm that weirdo that's at the range, you know, sneaking up on 3d targets, trying to, trying to replicate as best I can what what I've run into in hunting scenarios, you know. That's so true. Um, yeah, there's definitely common threads between successful hunters, and I love what you said, like um, uh, always learning. Uh, to be a student of the game, like it's part of the beauty of bow hunting is, you know, even with the, the success I've had on, on different critters and in different habitats and all these different places um, – I still have to put in the work. I still have to put in the work year round with my bow and I, I'm still a student of the game. Like I'm still improving my archery skill set. Not only you know my my shooting but my stalking and, and my uh, knowledge of the terrain and my glassing and I'm constantly learning, you know, and constantly improving. And I I, I just don't believe I'll ever get to a place where that'll stop. I think it's just continuing to learn. And, and you're right. You can learn something from, from anybody. Like even a beginner hunter, you know, will tell me something and it's like, oh, I forgot about that in the last 25 yeah. years of bow hunting. I forgot that perspective, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and, and so you can learn from those guys. You can learn from guys' stories or uh, learn from the successful guys out there. And I'm so fortunate to be able to have, you know, all these killers on the podcast where I, I can, you know, find these common traits that you're talking about that, that successful hunters have in common. And then I can try to implement things from their hunting into my game that make me better. And we're all individuals. Like none of us hunt exactly the same. We have different tendencies of of being aggressive or being patient and, and definitely, you know, patience is a virtue, but there is a time that you have to realize that you have to go all in or you have to risk spooking that animal to make a stock, to make a play, to try to get narrow in them. Like there's a time to go all in. And so, you have to like develop your own style of bow hunting, but once you develop it and understand it and like, you know, part of my strategy, like early season mule deer, I'm trying to stock them in their beds where late season mule deer, I'm hunting them more like elk where I'm just trying to get over to the rutting buck. And then I adapt to the situation they give me and I'm hunting them a lot on their feet or, you know, I may, I may bed one of them too. And I'm not opposed to making a stock on their bed. If I know their exact position, you know, I right. very rarely am going to go still hunt through the timber to try to find them but we all have to just develop this this hunting skill set or develop our personal preferences for this hunting but then we can take things from other people's game and implement it into our game uh which makes us a a more complete overall bow hunter which is just amazing man and and you said that which brought it to mind to me that that you're always learning uh paying attention to those those hunters that you're hanging around those good bow hunters you know makes so much sense I mean, there's there was there's a perfect example this year. Uh, my buddy Joe and I, we uh, I'll send you a picture. What's of this Joe's last here. name, Braden? Savannah. Okay, cool. 
Kavanaugh, yeah. Um, he's uh, he's a good guy. He uh, we were hunting this deer this year, and I'll send you a picture of him because you'll you'll appreciate him. But this this muley lived in this basin, and we've hunted him. We we've, we've been chasing him for a couple years now, but he lives in this basin that is very very full of willows, and I just I'm. I can't figure out the willows. Joe kind of has the willows figured out. So I was taking a lot of, you know, advice from him, you know, and, and techniques from him that he's been successful, you know, killing deer, you know, in, in the thick willows and, and, and trying to apply them to this buck. Now we, we, well, unfortunately this buck outsmarted us and as old, as big old bucks do, but, you know, learning something like that, where as a basin, I'd typically look at it and be like, man, that's, that's going to be tough to kill a buck in there because it's, because it's, you know, just a f- football field of willows of 10 foot tall willows and, and, and learning how to try and play that game, you know? So it's all tools in the toolbox is the way I look at it. If you have, you know, I want as many tools in my toolbox to be successful as I can. Yeah, that's it. And the, the, the more, you know, experience is such a great teacher to be able to chase that buck in the willows, but hunting these different habitats and, these different species, they really sharpen like each set of our skill set. Like I know, you know, hunting coos deer down in the Arizona desert really improves like my glassing skill set. You have to find master vantage points. Uh, you have to tripod up your binos. You have to really pick country apart. And then they're the gray right. ghosts. They're really tough to find. And then once you find a mature buck, I hunt them kind of the same way where I'll, you know, I like to bet them if I'm in open terrain, but a lot of times I'm going to hunt them on their feet and adapt to the situation I'm given. But it also improves my stalking skill set as I think success rates with the bow are like two or 3%. So they're really wired, switched on deer. And so stalking them, you know, you have to pay attention to your noise and uh, uh, pay attention to your approach using the ungulation and topography, you know, and so hunting these coos deer really helps me with those 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 specific skill sets and and same thing you know like uh just got done hunting bucks in the in the badlands and um there's so many canyons and coolies in there and these deer really switched on right now as it was pre-rut just getting into some rut action uh and and one of the lessons i learned out there is like um, just to slow down from moving from areas like master vantage points were key to turn up these bucks. But I also just had to go hunt through country uh, because I can't see all the folds. I can only see 30% of the country. And so eventually I'd have to dive in deeper. I'd have to change vantage points. And I had to remind myself to really slow down that I had to see these deer before they saw me because a lot of times when I'm hunting through it, the canyons are so tight that I'm 100 to 400 yards away from any deer that I'm hunting into, and a lot of times those deer would bust me or see me before I saw them, and then I wouldn't get a chance at them. And so the first trip I went over there in September, uh, I had like two different bucks that I had spooked because um, you know I just wasn't moving slow enough. I wasn't picking the country apart enough as I was still hunting between vantage points, and one was like this great mid-170s mule deer that I just walked out to the vantage point, sat down on the vantage point, and that buck already had me at 400 yards, and I never got a chance at him. So, like, this time around, you know, when I went to that same vantage point, you know, I snuck off the ridge line, 
I, I, uh, you know, did like this ridgeline approach where I glass the country that's exposed to me and pick it apart and then take a couple more steps, glass, just to make sure that I wasn't busting out these deer or I was keeping that element of surprise. And so, you know, that Badlands really helped with that part of my skill set. So all these different species in these different habitats, like you going into the willows, like all of a sudden you're learning how to hunt these willows. And, and, and then that's like downloaded into your hunting skill set, downloaded into your your hunting instincts to make better decisions, not only on deer in the willows, but deer in other places as well. It seems like right. you'll be able to apply that learned knowledge uh, on other hunts in, in other places. And I think that's that's like a lot of the fun is like trying to solve the puzzle. And a lot of times bow hunting, doesn't it just seem like it's mission impossible? Like you find a big buck, oh, man. they are so tough to kill. And a lot of times you fail and fail. And a lot of times it just doesn't seem like, like it's even possible to be successful. But if you keep putting in the work, you keep moving slow, uh, like, like really thinking through your stocks, uh, uh, trying to be clutch when you get an opportunity, not taking any shortcuts, uh, seems like eventually you just earn an opportunity and and uh you know then it comes down to making a shot yeah it's just it's that it's that patience like like you i mean even in your badlands or you know because you've got such big country so in our head i think we're like oh we got to cover country so we just start trucking and then you know if we're moving slow like we should be we don't feel like uh, me personally i'm like i'm not covering enough country but then again, you're bumping bucks, you're bumping opportunities if you're not taking your time. So it's this, this balance of, you know, I, I need to slow down. I may not get to as much country, but I need to slow down. I need to spend more time, you know, glassing. It's, it's, so it's, it's really that struggle of, of the patience and moving, moving at rates and, you know, applying different techniques. I mean, like you talk about the coos deer, you know, I've, I've applied, the, I've applied, you know, some Midwest white tail things to them down in the rut, you know, rattling and grunting. And, you know, they've, you get the right deer, he can, on the ground, he can be pretty reactive to it and, and give you some opportunities too, you know? So, um, it, it's just using all the, like we talked about using all those tools in the toolbox, um, and, and getting as much varied experience as we can. I remember years ago, I read an article that you had written about going over to Hawaii and I was like, man, that, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, over the years, I've been fortunate enough to make a good friend who's a native over there, and, and we get to go over there. I've gotten to go over there, you know, three or four times and, and hunt axis bucks in, in, in the spring and, and, you know, goats and spend the time hunting those turned-on critters, you know, those axis deer, and, you know, it, it, it helps your stocking, you know, exponentially because those things are always turned on. Yeah, that's so true, man. Um, good for you getting to go out there and chase those axes. They are so switched on. And I know, right. you know, uh, uh, part of what Hawaii helps me with is like um, you, you get a lot of chances, a lot of yeah. uh, opportunities to stock, opportunities to fail and learn from it and get better. The other thing Hawaii really helps me with is my still hunting. A lot of times those axes are living in the thicks or in the trees and yeah. and I'll have to go hunt. And, and I have to still hunt for miles, for like a couple, two, three, four miles. I have to move slow and move quiet, and I have to glass every three, four steps. Because the minute you don't, 
you're spooking and blowing up axis deer. And so, like, I know Hawaii really improves my still hunting skill set. And, and yep. like, my good buddy Sean from Hawaii uh, this year hunted a tough elk unit that had a lot of timber in it, a lot of cover, a, a really tough unit. He ended up picking up, like, a leftover tag or a turn back in tag. Uh, and, and he ended up killing a giant bull on like day nine. And I think it's due to a lot of his hunting skill set of hunting Hawaii and hunting those thicks, hunting the calling axis during the rut is similar to hunting calling elk. And man, he just kept grinding, kept trying, and then made it happen on a giant bull like day nine in a really tough unit. You know, I was so impressed by it, but it's because of that, that hunting skill set. It seems like those guys that come from those places that get a lot of opportunities are really good hunters. So, you know, my buddies in Hawaii are really good hunters and their skills transfer over to the to the lower 48 and they're successful on elk and mule deer and antelope and and same thing i had like a couple buddies from australia that get a ton of experience hunting all these different deer species and pigs and um you know i learned a lot from those guys this year the the one guy josh uh i made really good friends with these guys and hunted with them a bunch and um the first day I hunted with Josh, we found a nice six-point bull and um, sent him for him. And I, I glassed him up on the hillside. And he was moving across the hillside totally barefoot and uh, in shorts, you know, just totally Australian, you know. But um, right. he, those guys were so good at taking their shoes off and moving, you know, with their uh, their bare feet to be quiet. And then, right. you know, they were also uh, uh, they were they were also really good at tracking. Like Josh has. Uh, dogs and uh, spends a lot of time tracking deer and things and his his tracking skill set uh was was levels leagues above mine you know and it's something i took from him that it's like man i can really improve on my tracking skill set paying attention to tracks paying attention to sign paying attention to where i see big bucks you know and so that's something i'm working on in my game to make me a better overall hunter but i do notice these guys that come from high opportunity places are really good bow hunters and i think we can take a page out of that book like i think um us all as bow hunters need to take advantage of these high opportunity hunts and and hunting is hunting and we all like chasing big bucks and big bulls and that's part of our hunting season but i think we also you know need to chase antelope we also need to grab doe tags and and chase yep. you know white-tailed does are so switched on especially spot and stock and the river bottoms out here west and you know i know like in in one of the units is close to me i can grab five doe tags over the counter at like 10 bucks a piece being a right. resident but even non-residents can get them and that that high opportunity that that experience it really shapes us into good bow hunters so i think we all need to take advantage of that absolutely i agree with you 100 percent. i mean i i'm as guilty as the next is you know i want the you know i want to hunt the thing with the antlers and you know that that you know with a mature deer but you're 100 percent right the more the more time we're in the field the more time we're spending around animals or looking for animals or hunting animals the more experience we're going to get and the better we're going to be in in in, in the long run you know so i i agree with that 100 percent. and it's just like you said it's that opportunity the people with you know i didn't get really get started hunting until later in life compared to you know some people who you know grew up with it and i've noticed that people that have grown up with it from when they were little well they had all those experiences good bad or indifferent with 
dad, grandpa at elk camp every year or whatever it may be. But even, you know, even unsuccessful, they were still spending more time in the woods chasing animals. So they already had, they already have a good baseline for, you know, the woods and the animals and things like that, where as someone who got started later, me, I didn't have that. So I have to get that in, you know, a compressed amount of time. So I, that's why I, you know, I'm trying to chase as much as I can. It's just for experience, right? I, I have to make up for, you know, lost time basically. Man. Um, totally. How old are you, Braden? I'm 40 years old. I turned 40 this year. Oh, congratulations. Just hitting your prime. Yeah, it's hitting my prime, man. I, uh, I still got to keep up with the young kids. So I, uh, I got to, got to keep myself in shape and keep going. So, yeah, me too. It's uh, 42. I turned 43 this year, but um, nice. really, I've never felt better. Like living this bow hunting lifestyle, it's 100%. like your, your body adapts to the stress you put on it. And it, right. like like being uh, exercising, being mobile, taking care of our bodies, it really starts to pay off in our late 30s, our 40s, you know, and, and hopefully will continue to pay off. And then you know, we get to, to learn so much throughout the years. And so we have like this higher understanding of, of the, uh, of, of the woods and of the mountains and, and of bow hunting, you know, but, um, man, I, I really think like we can keep charging the mountains if we take care of our bodies and we continue to work to, to stay in shape. So I really think 40 is the new 30 and 50 is the new 40. And, uh, like I, I see no signs of I'm slowing okay down. That. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Cause I like, exactly like you know if, if i can keep myself like going back to the that area we you know kill the sheep in it's kind of that test like okay you're 40 now how does it feel now you know are you still and you come out of it and you say yep i'm still in i'm still still battle ready you know i'm still i can i can still go get on that mountain i can go still spend go spend eight or nine days on that mountain and and and, and not be completely wrecked you know and 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 still experience that and still challenge myself for that. And that's, that's the goal, you know, man, that's it. Well, and, um, I think too, you know, it's throughout the years, like not only, you know, are we keeping ourselves in good physical shape? Are we working on our shooting? But really that it, it all starts and ends with the mind. And once you can start to callous your mind or build this mental toughness, like I'm way tougher now mentally than I was when I was 30, which was way tougher than I than I was in my 20. And and 42 year old uh, me now would run 30 year old me into the dirt. You know, like I have this mental edge that I've just continued to to hone and harness and realize the the power of it. Like um, like I'm no, I, I I'm no gift to bow like i'm i don't have these physical traits or i've you know i i i've had to work for everything that i've got and i've shaped myself into being a good mountain hunter but we're not born with it it's something we have to shape and harness in this mental toughness like uh uh it's it's our biggest asset is to realize what we want in our minds to work towards this goal to build the discipline to put in the work but we're just like adding these small layers on top of our mental toughness these calluses you know in every you know every run i do in gnarly weather every tough hunt i do 
you know, every time that I'm faced with a challenge and I make my way through it, I just build these calluses. And then I have this mental toughness that I can draw from that I that I know it may seem like mission impossible to arrow a big buck. But I know in my heart that I've that I've been there before and I know you know, just like on that moose hunt of having 30 days in, you know, I know that if I keep persistent, if I keep putting forth the effort, I will create an opportunity. And I was able to draw from a lot of tough hunts I've been on, uh, tough bear seasons where I've had 40 or 50 days in bear hunting uh, w- without very many sightings, you know. And so right. that's what I was able to draw upon for that moose hunt is draw upon my my mental toughness. But that that mental edge uh, is our biggest asset. And if we can dream it, if we can think it, um, if we can make ourselves put in the work and then we show up on these hunts and put maximum effort, like good things just seem to happen. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, it's, it's a mental tough. And, you know, for a long time, as I've gotten older, you know, I've, I've gained some knowledge and, you always think when people talk about mental toughness, it's this switch, right? Like it's, but I've learned that it's not. Like you said, you relating it to a callus is a very good way to do it. Or I always relate it to like an icicle and how an icicle is formed. An icicle is formed by very, very thin layers, right? Freezing over time, and you just add those layers every every time you do something that you know is challenging. It's raining outside, but you need to go on a run, or, or you go on a run and you know, you're building this one layer of, of icicle of, of your mental toughness that, that it's just going to be pay off in, in the end, as far as, you know, when you don't want to go over to that ridge, that's a mile away or two miles away, but you do anyway, because you think there might be deer or elk or whatever it may be over there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, I really like the way you put that. Like, um, it is building these small layers upon it. And really, it's the little things, right? It's like mental toughness. Absolutely. Like, um, just like you said, like going for that buck two miles away. Like when you have mental toughness, it's like a like a way of life, and it just affects your decision making process. And you know, in my younger years, or you know, in um, uh, what I see in other guys, or what I see that that lacks is is like uh, I am always willing to go for it. I'm always willing to give myself a chance. I I don't make any excuses, and so sometimes this mental toughness, you know, it it you don't always wear it on your sleeve. Sometimes it's in like the little decision making process, or it's day five when you're dragging and you haven't seen a deer, and you continue to get up at four thirty in the morning to make it to your vantage point because you believe that putting forth this effort is going to pay off. And so it is once you build like this mental toughness or this base, it's like. Um, it, it just, it comes into play throughout the hunt in all your decision-making process. It comes into play and in keeping your mood up, keeping, right. uh, putting forth this effort. And so sometimes it's not like the big decision. Sometimes it's just like these small decisions and, and you see a buck and instead of looking at that buck and going, gosh, I only have a half an hour of light, you know, I'll come back tomorrow. I'll try to relocate them, you know, instead, like having this mental toughness of going, gosh, I have 30 minutes of light. I think I can make it to him in 20. He's in a really right. good spot. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a, a chance, give myself a chance to be successful. And you get over there, and then 
it is like we were talking about earlier, like this combination between being aggressive, giving yourself a chance, and also being patient enough to not blow that animal out of the country. And those are some of the toughest decisions you have to make is to have to back out on a stock when you've you know, crossed a couple miles and a couple thousand vert and you get up there and the wind isn't right and backing out on that stock instead of pushing it to blow that animal. So it's wild. It's like this combination between aggressiveness and going for it, giving yourself a chance, and also this this patience and this strategy uh, of wanting to keep this element of surprise and wanting to make the most uh, of the opportunity. You know, so it um, such a balance, man. Bow hunting, it's yeah. uh, it it does just challenge us to our core, not only physically, not only mentally, but but also like this strategy uh, uh, of of when to push it and when not, when to go all in. And younger days in bow hunting, I found myself in this gray area not really knowing when the right time to go in is or when the right time to back out is. And what I've realized is that I just have to trust my instincts, you know, that that these instincts have been honed over years of bow hunting, you know, all these different places and species. And so I have to just rely upon my instincts. So when my instincts tell me to go or tell me to go left or tell me, hey, this this situation isn't looking good. The wind's fickle in here. Like, I think I need to back out, like just trusting that judgment and then doing that because – bow hunting is not black and white you're just even a a buck bedded in the perfect area you can get over there and spook a deer you didn't see or the wind can switch or there's just things that can go wrong and so you really have to trust upon the the instincts and your decision making process like like how do you negotiate that like those gray areas or knowing when to go or when not to go man i i that that's still one thing that i that i struggle with that's a challenge for me is you know, when to be aggressive. And, and I think you touched on a really good point that I was, I was getting there is that instinct. And I think we all have it. I think from thousands and thousands of years of we're hunters by, by, by nature, we're hunters, right? We've had, we have these instincts. I think we've just been, you know, a lot of us don't, that's the challenge of bow hunting. I think for us is, is the real, the, the nitty gritty of it is, we're trying to touch those instincts. We're trying to feel those instincts. And I think a lot of times I think too much rather than just going with my instinct. Cause I know a lot of guys, you know, sex, successful guys like you and some other guys, it's an instinctual thing. It's a, Hey, I feel like I should go this way. I don't know why. I don't know. You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but I think that instinct is in us. And I think that what we're trying to do, a lot of us, me, is dig into that instinct and touch that instinct and use that instinct from thousands of years of evolution that, you know, has put us in the field with animals for, for thousands of years and figuring out how to how to get that meat for whatever it was back then. You know, we had to have those instincts and they've just been covered up with technology and things so much. So I think touching on those instincts is 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 my ultimate challenge, right? Is, is trusting my instincts, trusting my gut. Like this is, this is the right move. This is, this is what I feel is going to happen. You know, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, that Ram, it was when I bumped him out, it was like, okay, I think I can, you know, it's just that instinct. Like I think they're going to put themselves in a good spot and I can go kill one of those. So it was just go. I didn't think about how, you know, Oh, you got to go down this and up that and blah, blah, blah. It was just go get them. You know, it's, it, it, so I still, that's still a challenge for me is to, is to be able to, to touch those instincts and, and, and use those instincts 
versus overthinking. I'll overthink situations a lot, you know, in, in hunting situations, you know, I think we all do at points in time, but just kind of quieting the mind and being like, okay, what, what feels right? You know, what feels like the best move in this situation? Oh, I like that. That's like an interesting thought experiment to think about like uh, those instincts that are that are in our DNA from hunting so long. And I think also yeah. like like our experiences help shape those instincts to be even better. Like each blown stock, each successful stock, each uh, each milestone like out out in the mountains, like um, those experiences, like experience is the best teacher. So the more times, the more experience we get, the the better our instincts and decision-making gets, you know, uh, of making these decisions or tapping into those instincts, like you say. So I do think they're in us, but I think it's also something that we hone the, the more we're out yeah. there and the more we do it. We hone it, and it's it's wild, man. I, I like to make something come together, like your ram, or I saw you were successful on a great muley this year too with your bow. Like to 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 be successful on one of those those animals, it seems like there's a hundred decisions you have to make, and a hundred right decisions you have to make, and you get one of those wrong, and the stock's blown. Like these uh these animals are so keen, right? And so like they're really good at surviving. Oh and man, they're really good at surviving. Yeah, their life depends on it, you know, and they're right. they've been avoiding mountain lions for thousands of years. Like they also have really keen instincts and and uh them unlike us like uh they don't overthink anything like if they feel they're being pressured or they feel like they almost have a sixth sense and if they feel they're being chased they just get the heck out of there if they hear a sound they don't like they get the heck out of there like they they really trust their instincts and so um to make these these hundred right decisions to make everything go right to put yourself in a place to be able to make a shot um, you do have to just let your instincts guide you and, and, you know, thinking and strategy and playing the chess game is also important. Like I, you know, creative thinking is rewarding in the rewarded in the bow hunting world, but you're, you're right. There comes a time and a place where you don't want to overthink. You just want to trust your instincts and listen to them, like listening to your gut, uh, and your gut's going to guide you or like these instincts are going to guide you when to go, when to stop, when to hold up, how quiet to be, uh, what, what side to approach from, like all of these decisions like come together in the perfect storm. And all of a sudden you make a hundred right decisions and you find yourself in, in bow range, executing a perfect shot on an animal. Like that's the right. beauty of bow hunting. Yep. It's, it's, it's a, all the stars have to align. It's, it's definitely, definitely true for, for bow hunting. So it's uh, but I think that's why we love it. I mean, I think that's why I think about it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year, all year long is because like you said earlier, I'll never be a master at it. I'll never, I'll never be not learning. I'll never not be able to, to learn something from a bow hunt, you know, or learn something. There's always going to be in different situations and, you know, apply different strategies. And it, it, there's just, it's just that challenge. It's like, it's that game, you know? That's it. Like a, a student of the game. And I even find myself like I want to be better. I find myself on some of these tough, tough hunts going, 
you know, thinking, gosh, I wish I was better at stalking. And here I am thinking, I wishing I was a better hunter than I already am when I spend so much time hunting and I've been successful on so many animals. I still dream of being better, being more efficient, being better with my stocks, making better decisions. (laughs) Like I, uh, excuse me, I I choked on myself there. (laughs) But I find myself... Yeah, I find myself like still wanting to improve and be better and give myself a better chance of success and I'll blow a blow a stock or something and and just think, you know, how I could have been better. And I think that's a big part of it too, is like learning from our failures. I think we we learn we learn more from our failures than we do our successes. And um it's it's like the ultimate challenge and that is why we love it you know but i i still right. find myself like wanting to be better wanting to be more clutch on my stocks wanting to be you know better on my shots and execution and for me making good shots is um quality execution i'm sure it's the same for you, you uh you're still working at the shop right you you mentioned uh phil Men, um which i believe is phil mendoza you mentioned yeah, earlier phil mendoza, the, yeah, yeah. the ram tag no i'm not I'm not working there anymore, but yeah, we still have a really good relationship and I, I still have a really good relationship with the shop. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's that shot. It's, it's shooting under pressure. It's, you know, applying all these, you know, all these things we've learned about shooting a bow and what may, you know, you know, having to change to a different release because, you know, I have a tendency if you put a thumb button on me, I'll punch it. So I'm like, well, I got to go to something that makes me a little bit more patient, you know, which, may cause me some opportunities lost, but I have, I'd rather have good shot execution and, and, you know, than than not. So yeah, it's just all these little things like you talked about, you know, executing a good shot. In, you, like you said, you could, you could hike two miles, but it doesn't do you any good if you go and you botch the shot, you know? So it, it's all those little things of the days and hours and weeks and, months leading up to it that that we're practicing and putting our mental our mental space getting our mental space right um for that moment you know yeah that's it well and and um i only mentioned that shop because um you guys that that work in these shops and um you know really uh learn this this archery inside and out gives you such an advantage over the average guy because um you know you're able to work through not only your own bow to um be the the very best or get the most out of your tune and and the most out of your practice and execution but you get to help these other guys solve these problems and so through that you work on a lot of bows and you see a lot of guys come through the shop and you're you're always thinking about archery or always present i noticed that you guys that work at the shop are really good shots and i think that's interesting that you say about a thumb button so uh do you use a hinge for hunting then yes yes a hinge, um, like, it keeps you present in your shot, right? I shoot a hinge oh, really man, well, it, but you, there, there's not, if you punch it, it's going nowhere close, and so you force yourself to execute every single shot. And that execution, that staying present in your shot, is such a huge component to, to my successes. Like, and it, it just doesn't come easy. I've been bow hunting forever. For as long as I can remember, I still have to walk around thinking about executing my shot. And I still, when I'm drawing back on an animal, I, I have to talk myself through that shot and make sure I'm executing it correctly. Or I can slip back into an old habit where I I find hair and punch the trigger. I just yep. know better nowadays. I know to settle my pin, to execute no matter what. The most important thing to me is to execute correctly. And so... Uh, like I had a, 
a, a miss on a a buck out there in the in the Badlands, and um, you know it was a, a a longer shot. It was a shot I could make. He was broadside in there, but I didn't beat myself up too bad because I executed a quality shot. My pin found the spot. I let it float. Pull, pull, pull. Executed and just watched that arrow. It was coming in perfect, and I think maybe just dropped a hair low. And who knows why? I had a range. You know, I've got a cameraman, and so I've got a range right. on this buck, and I'm trying to get set and got froze. Like, I don't know if he took an extra step or an extra step back, and, man, that arrow was just coming in perfect. But, you know, I missed, but I, I wasn't too hard on myself. It was like um, uh, I did my job as a bow hunter, and I know when I execute my shots correctly, things die, and I have this higher – this higher percentage of successful shots when I execute correctly. So I did my job as a bow hunter, so I just didn't beat myself up too bad about it. And I I missed clean, so I didn't injure the animal. I can continue to hunt. Um, but it, it just didn't hurt as bad because I, I had executed correctly and done my job. But that's such a huge component is to separate those two things and not only – to separate being successful and separate executing a good shot. And when I yep. execute correctly, things die. But it it's something I continually have to work on, even being an experienced bow hunter. Uh, are you the same well, way? Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I, I think, in my opinion, he's probably one of the greatest archers to, to shoot a bow. But Levi Morgan said he's always on the edge of target panic. You know, he's always he's always riding that edge of target panic. And this guy's, you know, what however many accolades he has from targets to 3ds to animals and he says still and he's been shooting a bow and he, he says you know i'm always teetering on on target and i always have to think about execution and i'm I'm the same way it's you know i had a similar situation i missed a buck uh a muley this year uh too everything perfect right i make the perfect stock around the basin i get to the tree i need to get to he's in the tall willows he stands up. All I can see is the top of his back, but I'm, you know, I can slip. I, am, I know the yardage. I think I can slip the arrow in there. Well, he was a little bit alert and, and he, he, he dropped underneath that, that arrow. But like you said, I didn't beat my, usually I'd beat myself up, but I pulled, I settled the pin. I, you know, I executed a good shot. I was confident and committed to the shot and it just didn't work out. And that's what happens. But committing to that shot and committing to that, you know, I'm okay with, I'm okay with a miss in that situation. You know, had I gone up there and, you know, punched the trigger and, 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 you know, ripped one, ripped one down there, you know, I would have been a lot more disappointed in, in the outcome because I didn't do my job. You know, I didn't do what I was supposed to do um, as far as shot execution. Man, that's totally it. Yeah. Execution is key, right? And when we do that, things die. Right. Right. I have one quick technical question for you. I don't want to get too deep. I know we're yeah. running, getting close to time. No worries. Did you do what? What arrow setup did you uh, shoot for your moose? Uh, the same arrow setup I shoot at everything. So uh, it's four hundred and forty-seven grains, pretty much four hundred and fifty grain arrow, uh, one twenty-five head on it. Um, shot an expandable on them. I was gonna say because you 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 shoot expandable. I've I've actually taken you know kind of gone that route as well for the reasons that you've explained in the past so i was curious if you shot it with with an expandable yep shot him with an expandable and that thing like he was maybe alive 45 seconds yeah i just i i love those expandables uh due to those you know like what we've discussed before like the 
the so many accuracy. Variables. Yeah, it's like so if, many variables. I know if I can put that arrow in the right place, that animal's gonna die. And um, it just seems like those expandables are really forgiving. And I trust them. I've shot a bunch of elk with them, so I knew they were gonna perform right. So. I just went about it and shot the same setup I shoot on everything, expandable, 450-grain arrow, super accurate. I know I can hit my place and walked around with a bunch of confidence. And then, you know, when I got my shot uh, executed correctly, put that arrow through the lungs, and instantly as I shot him, I could see his breath coming out his lungs with every breath he had with the cold air coming out. And then – you know, he walked out 20, 25 yards and turned broadside the other way, and so I dotted him the other way and uh, pretty much made it about another five yards and laid down and died right in front of me. But, yeah, those um, – you know, not that – you know, there, there's advantages and disadvantages to both, and and a lot of archery and a lot of bow hunting is personal preferences. Like like both a fixed blade and an expandable will work, you know, and, and right. some people are diehard fixed blades, and I get it, right? It's like – Less moving parts, they know they hit it with that blade, and they know if they hit it right with that blade that it's going to die. It's They don't have to worry about if their if they're broadhead opens or closes or if it comes open um, like before the shot. Like some of these old expandables you know, can come open right. on a blade of grass or come open on your quiver. And if any of those blades are partly opened, it throws off like the dynamic of flight of that arrow, and your arrow is not going to hit anywhere close. So that's another right. moving part or another concern and so we all just have to to test these different setups and and figure out what works for us what's right for us and for me uh out west you know like a lot of these shots are longer shots like the majority of my animals are 40 to 60 yards and i live in really windy country and so i shoot the wind nonstop. and so i'm able to see the difference in wind drift between an expandable and a fixed blade like i get to see you know a fixed blade's gonna wind drift double the distance that an expandable is gonna wind drift even with just a small thermal wind a small five an hour five mile an hour crosswind i can see how much it moves and the other thing i see is like I'm always shooting broadheads, and so through my testing, I just noticed that, you know, at these longer distances, the 50, 60, 70-yard shots, like, I just notice how much more forgiving an expandable is, like, how much closer to center it'll be. Like, if I make, you know, if, if my bow, if the shot breaks a little left... I know with an expandable, you know, I'm going to be missing by four inches left, but a, a fixed blade, it's going to be exaggerated. And so yep. now I might miss by eight inches to the left. And so I've just found that these these expandables are so forgiving, so accurate, that I have a better chance at hitting the spot I'm aiming at. And for me, like killing an animal isn't about the broadhead I'm using. I feel like I can use any broadhead to kill an animal. It's more about where I hit that animal at. It's science. Yep. Lungs, harder liver, and they die. Yep. yep. Yeah. You have to be confident. And as you said, it, it comes down, you know, our the most important six inches of archery is between our ears, right? So if we're confident in our setup, whatever setup that may be, going into the woods, if we're confident in that, truly confident in that, we're light years ahead of somebody who's not, you know, somebody who doesn't know how their broadheads fly or doesn't know, you know, doesn't take the time to figure that out. But if you have the confidence, confidence is, confidence is everything in archery that that, that I've learned is, is being confident in your setup and be confident in, you know, your, your, yourself. And that that's the key to it. So, yeah, I just was curious if, if you had 
changed or not. So that's, that's good to hear. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm with you. I, I've kind of transitioned over to, to expandables now and primarily just shoot those. And for the same, for those reasons, you know, I'm, I'm typically out West shooting a little farther, shooting in the wind. There's so many variables. I mean, a little bit of torque on a bow can cause a fixed blade broadhead to fly pretty erratic if, uh, at, at certain distances, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. Welcome to the dark side, Braden. Right, right. <laughs> no, I'm, everything, uh, you know, almost everything I've shot with these expandables has died, so I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, uh, no, it, it, confidence kills. You know, having confidence in your weapon and your skill set, confidence kills walking around the mountains and confidence uh, in your arrow setup. And I, uh, I've i had Sam Davis on the podcast a bunch. I really like that guy. He's just a great bow hunter. And this year he drew a bison tag. And oh, um, awesome. the guy, he's he already has like a 30 or 31-inch draw, you know, compared to, right. compared to mine. He's already got so much energy, but he was working on a bison arrow. And so he was working on this fixed head, this heavyweight arrow. Uh, so he worked really hard to build up this arrow. And then he's hunting this bison, which is a really tough tag to draw in his home state of Wyoming. And so he right. had this really good tag. He was targeting, you know, one of the, the bigger animals in North America that you can kill with a bow. And um, he said he got close and got in bow range. And instead of sliding that arrow that he had specifically built for bison, he slid out. Uh, he had a Grim Reaper pro tip. He slid out his expandable with his normal arrow that he has confidence in that he's killed so many arrows and dotted the lungs of that bison and killed it. But he said, yeah, I, I went through got. all this work trying to make these arrows shoot. And when it came down to the moment, he pulled out the arrow that he shoots all his animals with, his elk, his deer. He shot a, a moose with it. Like he just has confidence in it. And that's the arrow he slid out of his quiver and put a perfect shot on that bison so yeah man it's confidence kills and um yep. those expandables everybody has to make their own ch choice and i'm not saying there's a right or wrong choice it just 100%. works for me and my bow hunting yep 100 percent. i'm i am with you 100 percent. and uh yeah it's just it, and you know one thing that i've not to keep track one thing that i've learned in the last couple of years that i've done is i've really tried to simplify my stuff like like you one arrow i shoot one arrow you know i shoot a, I shoot a couple different bows like i'll shoot a you know a, a longer axle axle for my western bow and then i shoot a little short 60 pounder 60 pound turbo for my whitetail bow you know sitting in a tree stand that kind of thing but i sit shooting the same arrows out of both i don't care what the speeds are or anything like that i shoot the same arrows out of same setup out of both bows you know i used to be i'd have two or three arrows for two or three different bows and i really just learned that if you simplify things and you just work on your shooting, that is better for you than buying all these trinkets and, and changing things and doing all these changes. If you just find a setup you're confident with, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, become more confident with it, that's going to be – that's been my last few years' recipe for success, I think, that's helped me a lot. Love it. It's not the bow. It's the Indian, you know, it's like, uh, absolutely. you know, absolutely. you just work on your skill set, but you just gain confidence in what you have. And there's such a push nowadays with these ultra heavy arrows and these fixed blade heads. And, you know, some of these elk hunters are, you know, saying this is what you got to shoot on elk, the heavy for bone and pinnace. And it, it works for those guys. And I get it. You know, they want to shoot a fixed head and, and weight. You know, it, it does help like your 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 momentum energy and your kinetic energy. That equation only gets better with the heavier arrow you get. But what you lose is you lose range forgiveness. And what mm -hmm. I found is like, um, 
you know, it's this this rain forgiveness is so important as well. So it's like, um, you know, you just you just have to make your bed and land. But an expandable, I have killed probably thirty elk with an expandable, and right. between me and my buddies, I've probably seen sixty die with them. Like they kill them just fine. But they um, they do they do it. So yeah, it's uh, but yeah, I I think a lot of people get caught up in the, you know, the reading and the. Oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. And it's more, you know, especially working in the shop. I saw it a lot when I worked there. It's just like, Hey, let's work on, you know, hitting the yellow at 20 yards versus building you a new 600 grain arrow. Let's work on hitting the yellow with whatever <laughs> setup you have now. And then we'll worry about maybe changing some things later, but we got to hit the dot first, you know? Well, and guys love to blame the broadhead, right? It's like if something oh, 100%, 100%. goes wrong or if they lose an animal, which is the ugly part of bow hunting because that stuff 100%. does happen. Uh, but it, it, And even sometimes weird stuff can happen on a decent shot, but I've just found the majority of the time it's where you hit them. You hit them lungs, heart, or yep. liver. They can't live without their lungs, heart, or liver. They die. But, yeah, guys do get so caught up. I get so many questions on which broadhead to use or which arrow setup. And and it is important stuff. You want to have a setup that operates correctly and that kills animals quickly and efficiently and does the right amount of damage but still gets penetration. Like there is a dynamic there that you want to work through to find a really good hunting arrow and really good hunting broadhead. But I've just noticed it it comes down more to, to accuracy and where you hit them. And, um, man, when you hit them right, they die. And so, yeah, I've just got a ton of confidence in these expandables. And so I'm a bit of – like there's so much talk about these fixed blades and heavy arrows and not that I shoot a light arrow, you know, at 450 grains, but for right. me, it's the perfect Western mix. And I've shot a 550 grain arrow and I still don't get through the shoulder of an elk because I've only got a 26 and a half inch draw length, but right. my setup may be different than a guy that has a 30 inch draw length. He has way more energy than me, but for me and my setup and my Western hunting, like I just have so much confidence in my my arrow setup, and I'm you know I'm I'm uh, so thrilled with like with like my grouping and my accuracy and my forgiveness in my setup that man it just works for me. Yep, I'm with you 100. percent I it's shocking I haven't changed my arrow setup in two years, which is really really odd for me. So <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I'm completely happy and confident in my setup, and. I will shoot it until, and you know, I was thinking about building a new arrow this year, and I'm like, well, you're just going to spend all this effort, time and effort to build the same arrow you have, just maybe a little bit different. And I'm like, there's no point in doing that. Just keep with what you got. It's been successful. Keep keep rolling with it. So yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that's exactly. Totally it. Yeah. Well, um, dude, you're such a good bow hunter. I've wanted to get you on the podcast. Like you've been on my short list forever, and uh, I'm just glad that I had finally reached out or we finally connected on the no, I'm, podcast. I'm, yeah, I'm really glad we finally connected. I really, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad that I got to. I've been wanting to wanted to chat with you and catch up for a while. So. Oh, dude. Uh, well, you're the man. I appreciate you're, it. Oh, dude, you're such a student of the game and such a great bow hunter. And um, I, it's taken me a while to get you on, but this definitely won't be the last time. We need to check in uh, uh, every yep. few months or whatever. You need to come back on the podcast. You're just a wealth of knowledge and really fun to to have these uh, uh, in-depth conversations, as I know you have the same love for it that I do and um, uh, the same commitment um, to archery and being a student of the game. So, Braden, you're the man. Thanks so much much for coming Absolutely. on Brian. thank you buddy i appreciate it man and uh you have a good day and we will yeah definitely get me let's get on get caught up again in the next couple months that'd be great that'd yeah be awesome. keep keep in touch buddy keep bow hunting hard and we'll talk soon sounds good buddy take care okay. man. all right bye all right bye all right guys 
Uh, thanks a bunch for listening in to the podcast. Thanks so much for Braden for jumping on the podcast, recording with me. Guy's just an absolute diehard bow hunter and made for a really fun conversation. Uh, thank you guys for the support of the podcast. Thanks Eastman's um, for everything they do for me and the podcast. Um, you can check us out uh, again that that Beyond the Grid. Check that one out. Uh, Eastman's Hunting TV late season mule deer archery hunt. Really proud of the way that one came out. And then you can check us out on the Outdoor Channel as well. Uh, you can check out, um, uh, of course, the podcast. You guys are listening in now. Thanks for the support. Uh, Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. And, um, man, oh, we have also got that that Mule Deer course. You can check that out. Uh, I think we're really doing good things in the Mule Deer space to help gain the knowledge to be able to go to these different habitats, these different places, and um, chase mule deer. So it's, like I said before in the intro, it's absolutely everything I know about mule deer hunting put together in one course over 100 videos. It's sure to shorten your learning curve on mule deer, and uh, I've seen some guys have some great success that go through the course this year and put in the work and turning up some great bucks. So check that out. I also want to thank our sponsors for today's show, Black Rifle Coffee Company. Just great roast, great instant coffee. Uh, let's give support to this company as uh, they're supporting the podcast. So thanks to those guys. Cutter Stabilizer, my buddy Earl. Um, man, this guy's just killing it in the stabilizer market. Those carbon fiber stabilizers really help the hold and reaction of the bow. And uh, he's a small business owner that um, has been working really hard at this business. And uh, I really appreciate his support on the podcast. And, um, uh, you know, he's, he's stepped up and been a sponsor of the podcast the last couple of years, which I know is not easy for a small business. And I've just been, been able to see his stabilizers and his companies just flourish and grow uh, just because of premium products that he came up with. So let's give him some support as well. Uh, Forever Barnwood, those guys are thinking outside the box, advertising on Eastman's Elevated, uh, finishing a bunch of stuff in my own home with their products that I'm super pumped with, their base, their case, their custom doors, their beams, uh, the box beams. They're just amazing. So uh, it's really going to make my house one of a kind, and I'll release some pictures on social media of that. Um, so give those guys some support. Black Ovis, really appreciate those guys. Uh, their sponsor on the podcast uh, stepped up this year. They're all hunters in there. Really knowledgeable staff can answer any of your questions. And you can save 10% by putting in the code ELEVATED10 and uh, get you 10% off your order. Uh, also, uh, Camo Fire, great hunting deals. Uh, my buddy Dan, buddy Dylan, uses app all the time. Like I say, they uh, sometimes they show up with matching gear because they both got it off Camo Fire. So um, check those guys out. And as far as me, um, haven't been hunting here lately. Uh, we finished up that that mule deer um, hunt that was just amazing, um, so fun. Wasn't able to close the deal out there. I'll put together a solo podcast here, but um, yeah, I've been going through like um, you know this this hunting just prepares us for for tough times and gives us resolve and gives us mental toughness. Like I've learned so much of this through bow hunting, as bow hunting is so difficult and it takes dedication and um, uh, you know, it takes this, this being a student of the game, willing to learn and, and it, it, you like learn this mental toughness and then able to apply it in other portions of my life. So you guys know, I've been taking on a bunch lately with the houses I'm contracting personal house. You guys know I had to move. Uh, the move was just, um, you know, usually I don't complain or it's not that big of a deal to move a house for me, but, um, yeah, I had to do 
this one solo here, and so uh, usually I've got my wife to pack up everything and kind of get it all organized in boxes, and then all I have to do is just move the heavy stuff, which um, makes it easy on me. But this time around, um, you know, been through some hard times here with the family, with my wife. Um, uh, you know, it's like I just like to be honest with you guys or uh, like I usually share some of my thoughts and I don't, you know, definitely don't need any sympathy or anything like that. But, yeah, I've been through some tough times here where my, my wife's been in the hospital and so I've been dealing with that and, um, you know, taking care of the the um, kids and then trying to get moved and then also trying to contract and work. And, um, you know, I was already taking a lot on, but, um, you know, it's, it's only because of my mental toughness. It's only because of this resolve I built that I've been able to be a leader for my family. You know, I've also, it was just, um, man, it's just been, it's just been a lot lately. So, um, just trying to get through everything and manage as good as I can and be there for everybody. And, um, you know, things are improving. My wife's getting better. In fact, I'm going to shoot down to, um, Salt Lake and, and, uh, hopefully she'll get released here and, uh, be able to get her back home. But, um, man, it's, um, you know, it's like, there's, there's some guarantees in life you know there's pain there's uncertainty and there's relentless hard work and if you embrace those three things you know you can be good at anything or get through anything in life so I mean it's just helped like all this stuff I talk about on here and and um you know all this these things that I preach you know have had to come into play and come into practice here during these like extremely tough times for me so you know I'm just getting through them and um you know everything's looking up and everything's doing good and kids are doing good so I mean there's no need to worry or concern but man it's um life is tough and life is tough for all of us and it's not like a fair deal you don't know what hand you're going to be dealt the only thing you can do is play the hand that you're dealt and um so you know it's Everybody is going to have to go through tough times in life, whether it's personally, whether it's with your family, whether it's through work or whatever it is. And all you can do is keep in a good attitude and keep moving through it. It's like help to like just remember what I'm thankful for, what I'm like, um, uh, like I can think like one of the tools I've been using is, you know, when I get overwhelmed, it seems like when I get overwhelmed, like, um, uh, I get angry quick, like, uh, you know, it's like a short fuse on my temper, you know, I get frustrated real easy when I'm, when I'm really stressed. And so just trying to control that and remember like, like what I'm thankful for and even just the small things, not even the big things. Like, I, you know, I'm thankful to, to have this rental house to move into. I'm thankful to be able to build a big house, oh, not a big house to build a new house. Sorry. It's not a big house. It's 20. 2200 square feet but I'm so fortunate to be able to have this opportunity in this market with interest rates so high and things going wacky that I can build this house I'm thankful you know for for my daughters I'm thankful for um, you know that my wife's health and that she's doing okay and on the recovery I'm thankful for you know just go through these little things that I can just name and um, you know it just it just helps me to get through this and to kind of change my attitude around or um, you know, just to make sure that I'm there for my family. So, you know, it's, it's all like, um, deeply personal stuff, but I think that's why the podcast succeeds is I just share everything with you guys. I share my journey. I share my hard times. I share my good times. And so like, um, you know, we're doing fine. I don't need any help. We're making it through. Got moved, man. Was that an ordeal? Oh my gosh. And my family is going to be so mad at me when they see my packing uh, skills or like my organization and packing skills is everything just kind of got dumped into boxes and they get labeled with one label kitchen or, you know, and then uh, 
uh, when they dive into those boxes or if I have to find anything, it's going to be a mess. I got to go over to the new house today and try to look for a couple cots as my um, wife's sister is coming into town with her family here for Thanksgiving. So uh, who knows where they're buried at? I know I saw them, so hopefully there's some place where I can find him. But um, man, we're getting through it. Like I uh, got that the house moved already for the new owner and um, all cleaned up. And gosh, it was like a seven or eight day marathon of moving. It was just crazy. And we definitely have too much stuff as Americans. And I, I didn't do like I purged some stuff for sure and got rid of some stuff. But I need to do some more of that. Um, but, you know, not to get into it here uh, uh, on, on the end of the podcast, like I just like I say, I just share my life and what I'm going through with you guys. And it's amazing how much you guys connect with the podcast and connect with me. And so that's my job is just to be honest and um, authentic and. You know, it's like, you know, I know, like I try to keep a positive attitude, but, you know, things go wrong for me, too. And I face hard times and I have to make it through. And, you know, life tests me to my limits as well. And so, you know, I just want to I know everybody goes through hard times. And so just want to let you guys know as well, like we can be leaders of our family. We can make it through anything. We can be strong. We can show resolve in this this hunting, you know, taking on such a, a difficult endeavor as bow hunting, you know, the wildland the 48 like it it builds this into us and so you know we have this that we can draw upon for the rest of uh, of our lives you know and um anyways i'm 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 getting through thanks so much for the support of the podcast it means the world to me and um thanks so much to these guests coming on make sure to show them your support as they take time out of their schedules jump on have these in-depth conversations and you know they share the secrets that help make them successful for you guys to improve at your game and and uh, I think sharing this this generosity of sharing this this wealth of information about backcountry hunting, you know, this is something that's taken these guys a lifetime to learn. And they come on and share openly on the podcast with me and with you guys. And it's a beautiful thing. Like we're all improving together. And that's what I talk about when I talk about like loving this this community, this community of people that we've built. And um, so we just need to keep at it, man. I just need to keep getting you guys quality recordings, keep pouring my heart and soul into this podcast, uh, keep pouring my heart and soul into my bow hunting and, and these adventures and this thing that I truly love. Keep pouring my heart and soul into my family and uh, making sure I'm there for everybody and and being a true leader. So um, anyways, that's the podcast. This is not a solo podcast. You know, I just wanted to be honest with you guys. So uh, thanks again for listening in. Thanks so much for Braden coming on the podcast. This was his first time on the podcast, but definitely won't be his last as he's a bow hunting fanatic. And I really enjoyed the conversation. And thanks to all my guests that come on here. Like, um, yeah, taking the time and sharing this information. I appreciate it. Okay, I'm rambling on, guys. I got to get out of here. Uh, we'll release this podcast and you guys will be good to go. And I'll check in with you next week.